High drama in the Champions League, Atletico's new low, and a big weekend to look forward to in the Premier League. I'm Dan Burke, this is the One Football Podcast, and I'm joined today by Matt Froelich. Good afternoon. And Daniel Cadena Jordan. Hey, hey, how's everything? Hello, gentlemen. Welcome aboard. Uh, we've got a, a, an email from uh, Yogeshwa to uh, to kick things off with today. He says, uh, just popping up to say hello, and I've recently started to watch the podcast. Uh, truth be told, logged in for the podcast, stayed for Dan's David Moyes outfit. So that's a reference to, I think, the tracksuit top I was wearing on the, uh, the podcast <laughs> we did on Monday. I mean, what can I say? I am a tracksuit podcaster. For, for the cup finals, I might put a suit on if, if necessary. But, uh, you know, for, for most times, I, I'm, uh, I'm wearing a, a tracksuit. And if I looked like David Moyes the other day, it was Halloween when we recorded that podcast, to be fair. so <laughs> does, that, does that mean that Danny's Tony Pulis with the cap? Maybe. The, Ven- the Venezuelan Tony Pulis there. there the Venezuelan yeah. Jurgen Klopp, right? <laughs> oh yeah there we go we've each got our personas now your, your outfit's giving me sort of a uh, julian nagelsman yes, vibes today Matt, yes actually. very byron of you mate very byron yeah very, very nagelsman all right well <laughs> they've, they've just gone perfect in the champions league so i'll take that i'll take that. yeah yeah but, uh, your Geshua's email also reminded me that we haven't actually formally announced on the podcast that you can now watch the podcast if you so desire <laughs> if you want to see our faces while the words are coming out of our mouth that is now possible because we are now releasing a video version of the podcast each week as well uh, you can get it in the one football app um just follow the the usual links that we that we post there you can also get it if you have an apple tv there's a there's a one football app on the apple tv that you can watch it so you know maybe you're already watching it as i'm saying these words maybe i'm talking directly to to you on the sofa there stop picking your nose <laughs> <laughs> the future man the future the things they yeah, come up with these days video huh imagine that yeah but yeah we are an ugly bunch of so-and-so so you know maybe uh let, take, take any children out of the room before uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll set, set your uh, pet house pets going crazy as well probably yeah <laughs> uh, yeah if uh, if you want to get in touch with the podcast like Yogeshwar has done there the email address is podcast at onefootball.com uh, you can also tweet us at fussballdan at matt underscore frolic at what's your twitter Danny my twitter is uh, dkadena jordan so good luck spelling that nice are you going to be uh, paying Elon Musk eight euros a month for your uh blue tick by the way a bit annoyed i'm a bit annoyed i don't think yeah. i will actually it's a, <laughs> it's it's an inconvenience no isn't it i'm hoping i can like lease mine out to somebody else and make a bit of money <laughs> on the side, yeah, but I don't, I don't think it works like that i don't even have one so i'm gonna keep my eight eight dollars in my better pocket. off without it mate yeah, yeah man he it's all for show it. isn't it no blue tick no cry as bob marley <laughs> didn't say <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let's get into this week's Champions League action. We're going to start with Wednesday night's games and we'll start with Group H. Uh, there was a bit of a, a dramatic finale in the games involving PSG and Juventus and Maccabi Haifa and Benfica. Benfica winning 6-1 there. It was the first time ever that two teams have finished top of their group with the exact number of points, goals scored and goals conceded. It meant that Benfica leapfrogged PSG into first place. So PSG in second place in that group means they could get a potentially tough draw in the uh, in the, the round of 16. How do you think they were feeling when they were coming off the pitch, Matt, and they, they heard the news filtering through that Benfica had, uh, had scored enough goals? It was because they'd scored more away goals than PSG. Yeah. Over, oh, stage, so, which so is a I, weird technicality. I, I've, I just recently did a video of this for the, for the app. Um, a quick explanation is that there are 11 tie-breaking points Right, if teams are on the same amount of points, eleven. The far, the last one, funnily enough, is it's done on coefficiency points, <laughs> which is bizarre. Um, and they got all the way down to number seven. Oh wow! On that list, it goes it goes um, goal difference against each other, 
sorry, head to head against each other, goal difference against each other, goals scored against each other, away goals scored against each other. Then it opens out to the rest of the group. So number five is then goal difference, which was the same. They both had plus nine. Goals scored, which was the same, which was 16. And then <laughs> point number seven, away goals scored. And uh, yeah, after the final match there, PSG had six and Benfica had nine. I heard Kylian Mbappe say he, they didn't seem too annoyed he he basically said look we had a job to do we came to Juventus we picked up three points and that's it really like I'm sure afterwards they're sort of in a bit of disbelief that it was quite a <laughs> shock to see them win 6-1 but yeah I, I guess you mentioned they could get a potentially tougher draw I also think for one or two teams they're a tough draw as well you know mm, yeah. maybe i maybe i've got my spurs tinted glasses on here but um you know spurs benfica for example sounded a lot more positive to me than spurs psg <laughs> yeah uh so you know they, they're throwing a tough name into the second placed hat very much so, so yeah there's going to be a few teams going to want to avoid them in the in the draw yeah there's a there's a great photo of uh christophe gaultier coming onto the pitch at the end to shake his player's hand with a face like thunder he must have known they probably didn't know at the time <laughs> but uh yeah yeah, but do you think, Danny, there is a possibility that uh, PSG might be fearing a, a second successive last 16 exit as a result of this, that they could end up with, I don't know, Bayern Munich or Manchester City or someone like that and get knocked out now? Well, I was just reading that it's, Bayern has 50-50 chance of facing either Liverpool or PSG. So, you mm-hmm. know, I don't think anyone of those three is thrilled to face one another or anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it sounds silly that due to a technicality now, PSG has to maybe face a potential candidate to win the Champions League instead of facing something a bit more accessible, something more open. Um, but I do think they're kind of, I don't know, they, they do seem a lot more on their game this season, don't they? Like mm-hmm. putting aside the whole drama with Mbappé and the whole, you know, locker room, um, it's called them what? Yeah, soap opera kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know, the team looks okay. Like they're playing great. Messi and Neymar are finally clicking together. Mbappé's also been, you know, a great scorer and they can arguably beat anyone on a good day. Uh, but having said that, you do kind of feel a bit antsy that you're going to see his repeat itself yet again. Uh, and the final 16, you end up, you know, outside of the top 10 once again. It's, it's, I don't know, it must be sad to be a PSG fan these days, I think. Uh, <laughs> there's, you know, good stuff, but uh, I don't know. I would definitely not want to be under shoes right now. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be an interesting draw on Monday, that's for sure. Uh, AC Milan elsewhere, they uh, they just needed a draw against Salzburg to be sure of second place in their group. They ended up winning 4-0. Olivier Giroud uh, scoring twice in that game. He really is the man for the big occasion, isn't he, Matt? Yeah, I, I'm really, really impressed by him. Adding kind of more goals to his game since moving on to AC Milan, which I think is really odd because usually when you get to 34-35, you tend to slow down somewhat. Um, so for him to still be the main guy for AC Milan in the Champions League uh, is amazing. Two goals and two assists last night. And uh, yeah, he just seems to really be that focal point that I guess Zlatan was hoping to be when he came back to AC Milan. And obviously injury has meant that he's not. Um, so I guess Giroud probably feels young because Zlatan's still in the squad. <laughs> yeah. That makes him feel like a spring chicken. And he's like, all right, I got years to go. Uh, he's absolutely brilliant. I just think... We've seen over the years his how well he's worked with France, how well he's worked with a quicker player around him, whether it's been Griezmann, whether it's been Mbappe, this, that, and the other. And AC Milan have just hit the nail on the head. They're like, right, you go stand there, do everything that you're brilliant at, and we'll we'll pack the rest with, you know, whether it's Rafael has been brilliant, or Brahim Diaz as well. There's Salamak is in there. They've just they've really tailored 
their attacking threat to Giroud's um, ability and they're massively reaping the rewards from it. And of course, when you play to his strengths, it makes him look really good as well. Yeah, absolutely. He still looks fantastic as well, doesn't he? Yeah. He's a oh, very handsome man, yeah. What a handsome man. That's my, <laughs> that's my style guide. <laughs> Your style guru. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's him. <laughs> a, a little bit like, uh, well, perhaps not quite as much as PSG, but a little bit like PSG. Danny, do you think Milan are an opponent to be feared in the last 16? Would you be feeling a bit worried if, if Bayern pulled them out of the hat, potentially? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely not an easy team to, you know, face right now. They're sitting not necessarily comfortable on the top of, of Serie A, the third place right now, but not that far away from the leader, Napoli. Um, they come from a really strong season last season. They kind of did slack off a little bit of the Champions League group, though. Like, they did lose both games against Chelsea, which kind of shows that bigger teams could be an issue. But, you know, um, I definitely don't see them being sort of like an underdog situation. I think they're a very decent side, and I do think that anybody who ends up, you know, having to go to San Siro at whatever instance, be that for Inter or Milan, because they're both, you know, solid, solid teams, really. Uh, it's going to be a complicated, uh, you know, fixture in the end. Um, having said that, there is some sort of like shortcomings there a little bit. They're attacking quite well, but they do seem kind of like flaking on the defense. Sometimes they're caught off-footed more often than not. Uh, and I don't know, that might be sort of like the deciding fact on whether or not Final 16 is too little or too much for me than even. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Salzburg, they, they'll drop into the uh, Europa League as a result of that game. But their sister club, Leipzig, are into the last 16 of the Champions League. Uh, Marco Rose is doing a pretty good job there, Danny, I think, since taking over. I worked out he's, uh, he's been in charge for 13 games. He's won nine of them. They're averaging about 2.5 goals per game under him. Um, does it suggest that maybe Dortmund were a little bit hasty in getting rid, or was that still the right call for you, do you think? Um, well, Dortmund's kind of complicated to read nowadays. Uh, for the Well, nowadays, I mean, the past couple of years, they've kind of inadvertently done downsizings in places you would normally expect. Like you got rid of Hakimi, but you got Mounier. Uh, you've lost Haaland. Arguably they bring Allaire in to the equation, but you know, uh, things happen. Now you're stuck with Podesta and, M- and Mukoko. So it's a team of a lot of changing, a lot of evolution. And Terzic, they've kind of found a guy that's good at balancing, promoting talent, which is sort of like one of Dortmund's philosophy cores, whatnot. Uh, but Rose is arguably a really good coach. Uh, he's proving his, his, you know, style to be actually decent, not being another Tedesco-esque kind of solution to Leipzig, <laughs> but uh, a guy with an actual idea of what he is supposed to be doing. I just think he blends better with the Leipzig philosophy of football, which is a lot more, you know, you know energy drink, I guess would be a, a good <laughs> to put it, than uh, Dortmund, who do have a bit more of a nuanced philosophy nowadays, where it's a bit on the pitch, a bit off the pitch. Uh, Rose, having said all that, I don't think his, his time at Dortmund was not that terrible. It's simply not getting the results we're expecting they were supposed to be getting, albeit also because a lot of the players were injured. Royce is sort of like a, a good, um, you know, candidate to put like the picture on that discussion. Whereas, like, you know, one of the bigger, like, how well can you, you expect a coach to perform if two or three of his star players are always injured or likely to be injured or suspended or whatever? Not it's kind of complicated to 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 you know, ask that much out of him, but. Yeah. Um, I don't know. They could have kept them a bit longer, and I'm pretty sure the results would have been very similar to what they have nowadays. Having said that, it doesn't sound like it's enough for Dortmund. I think they should be aiming a bit higher, to be honest with you. Yeah. Could you uh, could you see him? Uh, could, could you see Leipzig? Sorry, Matt, being a being a fearsome opponent in the, the round of 16. There, uh, you know, they've, they've got some quality players all over the pitch. There's uh, Timo Werner. There's Christopher Nkunku with his, uh, his brilliant balloon celebration last night. There's the, the Hungarian lad whose name, I'm sorry, I still can't pronounce. Shobber Fly. There we go, there you go. I would have made an absolute pig's ear of that, so thanks for that. Uh, yeah, do, do you reckon um, they're a decent side? Yeah, they're, they're a decent side. It's one of those where 
they'll be an interesting proposition for similar size teams in the last 16. Uh, I think Leipzig against Spurs would be interesting. Against AC Milan would be interesting. Against Club Bruges would be rather interesting. But if you were one of the favourites, if you were a Bayern, Liverpool, City, um, you'd probably say that they're too strong for Leipzig. Having said Mm -hmm. that, Having said that, they did beat Real Madrid 3-2 on match day five, it was, the one just before. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely some some potential there for Leipzig. I, I would put them in the same uh, category as AC Milan in it will be very tough to go to Leipzig, but I couldn't necessarily see them over two legs pulling out something away from home. Um, so, yeah, I think they would be a preferred preferred option for one of the favourites. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Real Madrid, they still seem like the uh, the team to beat in the Champions League. A 5-1 win over Celtic for them last night. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti has now got the most wins in Champions League history as a manager, uh, 103. He surpassed Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, pretty solid achievement in itself. Uh, quite hard to believe he was managing Everton not long ago, isn't it, Matt, really? His, his, his career seems to be sort of on the way out and now he's like back on top of the world again. Yeah. I, I, I don't understand this either. Right, this points to two things. One, Ancelotti was like really desperate at that time. Right, I think he just left Napoli, I believe. Yeah, and maybe, maybe, right, yeah. maybe he thought his career was on the way down. Or <laughs> it shows the extreme pulling power of the Premier League that a mid-table Everton side <laughs> can go and get Carlo Ancelotti. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Like I was trying to think of a manager or something similar today because arguably Everton are worse off now than they were when Ancelotti, you know, was signed. And there was a lot of promise. Oh, they definitely are. Yeah, but I just couldn't imagine any other mid-table team across Europe, whether that be in France, Spain, Italy, uh, Germany, pulling in, you know, someone from who's been managing in England at a top level side. Yeah, like I really, it would be really. I'm trying to think of someone like Napoli. You can maybe equate with, you know, Spurs. Uh, I guess um, Antonio Conte going to, you know, going to Mainz or going to Strasbourg or going life, to. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that would be so bizarre. So for Ancelotti to have that CV go to Everton, that was really odd. And then for Real Madrid to take him back, yeah. Like again, maybe it seemed like a backward step for them at the time, didn't it? Really, yeah, it seemed uh, like a backward step, and then he just you know delivers the double. And I wouldn't say on course because there's a lot of football to be played, but there's no reason why they can't go and win you know the double again this year. Yeah, yeah. Do you think Danny's maybe still a little bit underrated as coach? You know, he's won the Champions League more times than any other coach. He's won more matches in the Champions League now. He's won you know league titles everywhere he's gone. I, I feel like he still doesn't quite get mentioned in the sort of pantheon of greats, really. It is true. I mean, it's kind of, and he's done, like you say, arguably everything he can do as a coach. Like he's coaching, I think, every single major league uh, in Europe outside, no, including France, actually. Yeah, he's been yeah. all five. Uh, so, you know, there's very little box for him left to tick. And, but I don't know, I think it just boils down to the fact that where he did kind of have like this initial approach to the game when in his, back in his Milan days, that kind of sort of like faded out and kind of became replaced with this, you know, players guy kind of coach. Where, you know, it's definitely more like the locker room vibe that gets people going, like, you know, calming down the Madrid players and explaining, no, it's fine. Like, we can concede five goals. We're mm-hmm. able to score six. Just focus on that. I think that's a true merit that you don't really see him in an age of very, you know, tax savvy coaches. Um, him as sort of like this big, you know, idea proposer or sort of. Yeah, yeah. He's more of sort of like the counter argument where it is a, a, a human game in the end, isn't it? Like, it, it does value. He does value a lot, like, you know, bringing forward talents like Vinicius Jr. was arguably his biggest, you know, um, creation but also like having a really good rapport with the Modric's the, the Crozes 
players that are well-established names, not only worldwide, but also within the club, within a very demanding fan base. And it's a very win-oriented fan culture, the one of Real Madrid, arguably, you know, with merit. They kind of won the thing often. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so he kind of like fits in with everybody else. He's also with a really nice, has like a really nice relationship with, with Florentino. So everyone's kind of like on board with this guy. So I think he's sort of like the political solution to a team that is usually star-studded, you know, therefore ego-studded, therefore, you know, what'd you say that? Like expectation-studded. It's, he's managed to like ride all the waves properly. He should just, he deserves a lot more props than he is getting arguably. He just freaking won the world, the, the, the Champions League. For yeah. It's like the guy's not bad. Yeah. Maybe the World Cup's next. Maybe Italy needs to, needs to get him uh, for the next World Cup. If he uh, imagine that, yeah. Maybe yeah. Italy needs to get into the World Cup. <laughs> that, that would be a start, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. Actually, I think he's actually quite similar to Ferguson in that there is no real sort of discernible style of play. You couldn't really describe Ancelotti's style of play or Ferguson's style of play particularly. The trademark is winning, isn't it? And managing those yeah. egos, and that is that's why they've been so, so successful. So fair play to Don Carlo. Yeah, uh, Chelsea think so, like. Two biggest names, like, you know, number one, number two of most Champions League wins are recording up there. Uh, players of, you know, players kind of coach, not necessarily the Guardiolas and uh, Tuchels and Klopp's kind of guy. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, very much so, yeah. Maybe these, uh, all these tactics nerds need to take uh, a chill pill. Tactic schmactics, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chelsea, they... Uh, they... One two one against Dinamo Zagreb, and uh, again it was a bit of a dead rubber. But perhaps they uh, they needed that win. There was a bit of I saw a bit of chat on on uh, on Twitter before the game. Chelsea fans wondering why Potter picked such a strong team, why he didn't play play many kids. He did hand uh, hand Dennis Zachariah his first starts for the club. Um, I don't know if like you like me, Matt, you forgot that he uh, he played for Chelsea. I, yeah. I totally forgot that he'd gone there, or I thought he'd played and I just hadn't noticed him. But like I'm not really sure what that was all about, but he scored in his debut anyway. Do you think this could be a, a bit of a turning point for him? Uh, well, I thought moving to Juventus was going to be a turning point for him in January, <laughs> but six months later, he went to Chelsea. So I don't know what to believe. Weirdly, I kind of feel like he has his favourites, Potter. Um, mm. Or it, maybe not even his favourites. Chelsea just have really good midfielders, and unless they're not there, like in the case of, you know, Kante with a long-term injury. Um, yeah, Zacharias is not really going to get a look in unless it's a... Yeah, unless it's a bit of a dead rubber to him. I think Kovacic and uh, Jorginho are clearly ahead of him in the centre of midfield. And unless he does something where Potter's like, oh my God, this guy's the missing piece in the system. Yeah, I can't see him getting a massive run of games. It's a real shame because at Gladbach, I thought he was so good. I know mm-hmm. Liverpool were linked with him. Um, his contract, Everybody was, I think. Was yeah, his, his contract was running out which is why um, Juve were able to pay, I think it was only 8 million or something. Mm, yeah. 8 million to bring him in in January, bring him on a cheap instead of you know waiting until the summer. Great. Didn't work out. A loan to Chelsea, I believe it is. And yeah, look, your first start three or four months in. Has he been injured looks... or just not fit? Or Yeah, he was injured for a little bit and then he right. just wasn't really fit and wasn't really getting into the team. I'm not sure Tuchel was absolutely mad about him. It kind of felt like another Sal Niguez all over yeah. again, right? One year later. Um, and for whatever reason, these players just aren't really getting into the team. Like I mentioned before, I know it's super tough to get in ahead of the likes of Kante, Jorginho, Kovacic. Uh, and Mason Mount, potentially in that area, normally plays a bit further forward. So yeah, for whatever reason, just hasn't happened. And I can't, I'd be amazed if he suddenly nailed down a, a, a place as one of the first names on the team sheet. I'd, I'd really yeah. be amazed. 
Chelsea always seem to have a player like that in the squad. He's a bit of a yeah. sort of glamour signing, but also a bit of a panic buy almost. Yeah. And they sort of buy someone and then go, oh shit, like I don't really know how to use this player. What are we going to do with him? Like uh, <laughs> Sal, like the last season you said, like even go back to like Thiago back in the day under Mourinho. I yeah, remember yeah. they got him and uh, yeah, they've had a few like that. Alexandra Pato. And <laughs> yeah. Well, they did the same with Hakim Ziyech as well. Like oh, That's right. Yeah, actually, yeah, a good example. Yeah. He's constantly linked with a move away and he's still there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Are you surprised, Danny, having watched Shakaraya at Gladbach a bit, that he's not really kicked on since leaving? Yeah, it's kind of odd. It really is. He was arguably a very, you know, promising, you know, center midfielder, and he just faded away. I guess he got, you know, the little Juve bug that's kind of like flying around Europe right now. That every single player <laughs> that plays with you or against Juve kind of like slows down a little bit. Um, and I don't know. He's just probably had a really hard time adapting to you know the likes of the Premier League, the the pace, the fact that you guys play a lot more often than or more often than than other leagues. And I don't know. Maybe the expectations has been like a really you know busy, busy start of the season at Chelsea. New cha- you know new coach taking over. The Tuchel exit was particularly you know dramatic. It wasn't necessarily like a smooth transition yeah. kind of thing. Uh, and yeah, maybe it's just been that that also the injury Matt was talking about earlier took him a bit longer to like fully regain confidence. I honestly, it could be literally anything, mm-hmm. but to see him, you know, having a good game, having a start, scoring a goal, it's always a good sign for a player like him who could definitely who definitely needs sort of like a bit of motivation, a bit of good results to get kind of back into his form. He, it's a very Bundesliga kind of player, like you know the Musa Diabis, that sort of guy that they, <laughs> once they start kicking it, they you know they kind of get back into shape and kind of bring their mind to the place where they're supposed to be being. Hopefully that's the case for Sakaria now. Yep, indeed. Uh, moving back to Tuesday's action now, uh, there was a very dramatic night in Group D as well. I'm sure you were on the edge of your seat watching this, Matt. Uh, <laughs> Spurs is coming from behind at halftime to beat Marseille 2-1, per, uh, courtesy of a very late Pierre-Emile Hoiberg goal that completely ruined my match report and really made me quite angry at the time. But uh, <laughs> I'll forgive him for it. Yeah. Uh, why was it such a game of two halves for Spurs, that one, do you think, Matt? Because it's what Tottenham do. They just <laughs> clearly have no idea how to play football in the first half. The first half was abysmal. And I seem to find myself saying that so frequently. And it now makes it the last four matches in a row that Spurs have been uh, losing at halftime. <laughs> um, two late winners in the last two against Marseille and Bournemouth. Could have been a third late winner in a row had the sporting uh, the goal against Sporting not been cancelled out and then the Manchester United one before that. I just... Oh, sorry, the Newcastle one before that. I don't understand how. I first, I don't understand how it happens, but secondly, <laughs> I also don't understand what changes at half time. Antonio Conte had a, um, a not a stadium, sorry, a touchline ban. Yeah. So he was sat way up in the stands, and his assistant was there. And at half time, Spurs changed. Uh, Emerson Royale came on for Ryan Sessegnon. No tactics were changed. Uh, the assistant manager wasn't, you know, didn't see this as his one chance to play some wacky tactic. Like I'm sure he kept it as as is with Antonio Conte's system. One player changed. Yet suddenly they they came out and played a brilliant second half. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't know what allowed Tottenham to tap into that good Tottenham. And I also don't know why they can't just do it for 90 minutes. Like, it's infuriating. And at the end of the game, you know, Hoiberg scores and Spurs go from, you know, I went from saying, ref, just blow the whistle, a point yeah. is all we need, yeah. to suddenly be like, we've won the group. I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm constantly left baffled at, at Spurs by so many things. And this is yet another to add to the list that why, why they can't. I spoke to my dad the other day and he said, 
I want half a refund on my season ticket because they only show up for half the game. <laughs> I want 50% off. And I was like, you're not wrong, Dad, because I don't know what you're paying the first 50% for for the first half because you're not well, watching Tottenham. Get, get it to just turn up for the second half at Future. Yeah, they yeah. let you in at halftime. I'm not sure, actually. But yeah. <laughs> I saw there was a great tweet the other day. Someone said Liverpool Spurs. Uh, Liverpool will be starting at half four and Spurs will be starting at half five. <laughs> and I was like, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Because I just. I just don't I don't understand it and I don't I don't know where the the change comes from for for Tottenham or, or Conte because I get the feeling um I think we'll look we'll look to it a little bit later but I get the feeling that we'll we'll see a repeat of it on Sunday. Yeah. Before. Do you think that um maybe conceding that goal just before half time kind of jolted them into action a little bit maybe if they had uh Got in at half time, nil nil. They were kind of drifting towards a draw, perhaps thinking a draw's okay. We, you know, and then suddenly you're behind. It's like, okay, wake up. We've got to fucking sort this out now. Uh, potentially, but I also think they would have known that the first half performance wasn't good mm. enough. Like, regardless of whether um, whether Marseille got the goal before half time, th- there's no way Spurs in the in the changing room would have been like, well, it's not so bad. You know, it's nil nil. We're all right for a draw here. Like, I'm sure they would have been well aware that the standards weren't met, and they would have picked it up anyway. Um, it was just really interesting to see Basuma when he had is having such a good game, how it impacted Hoybier and Bentacor. Basuma, you know, was brilliant, held down the fort at the base of the midfield, and those two midfielders just the rest of them just flew forward. Um, you know, Hoybier's injured in the ninety-fifth minute, yeah. still bombing forward. What a finish, uh, by the way, as well. Oh, like oh, I don't know what, what the XG on that was, but I didn't think he was gonna score. Like when he when he hit that, yeah. I, I thought as as Mbemba sort of pushed him a little bit to the side, I thought, oh, he's gonna mm. push him too far out and Hobe's gonna keep it. And he just thought, nah, twat off the post. <laughs> what a goal. Spurs win the group. Yeah, it was it was insane. And the fact that Marseille obviously had four ex Arsenal players and Alexis Sanchez was waffling before the game, that made it a little bit sweeter as well. <laughs> Yeah, that goal definitely needs the Alan Partridge comment set yeah. over it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it definitely does. <laughs> uh, it was uh, it was Eintracht Frankfurt who finished second in that group, uh, coming from behind to beat Sporting. How big an achievement is that for them? Do you think, Danny? It was quite a tough group. They've uh, they've come through it. It's uh, Glasner's doing quite a good job there, isn't he? Frankfurt as a project is arguably one of the best things in European football nowadays. I think it's just great to see this team that what less than a decade ago was like fighting for survival in the Bundesliga to become reigning champions of the Europa League, to go to the final 16 in the Champions League in the first try. It's it's pretty interesting. And, and it's, I don't know, boiling down to a club that understands that they don't have the wage bill to depend necessarily on one or two players. Uh, they have to replace them. Kostic, I think, being the best example for the season. Uh, and just hiring and being patient with the coaches that they pick. You know, Glasner, sticking to Glasner has been, I think, their biggest attribute, honestly. And, you can kind of see that the team is kind of like readapted to the what the what tools they have nowadays as as, as you know a squad, and just delivering great football because it is fun to watch. They do suffer here and there. They're not a perfect team. They're far from that, but they're really really good and really fun to watch actually. Yeah, and uh, that was a great goal from Randall Kolo Muani. Uh... Holding off a defender, shooting across the keeper, really nice. Fantastic. Not nicely yeah. taken goal. I saw someone on Twitter describe him as the signing of the summer in the Bundesliga. Would you go along with that, Danny? Ooh, that's that's a good call, actually. I think maybe not that far, but he's definitely one of the, up there in the in the ranks for that. Like he's assisting mm. like crazy. I think he has nine assists in the Bundesliga this season already. He scored three or four times already, scoring in the Champions League. You can tell that he's not intimidated by, you know, the stakes or what's expected of him. He's earned his spot like well done so in in, in Frankfurt since he got there. Uh, and he's proving to be along with Kamada and Goetze, arguably the three best players that they have on the pitch right now, which, you know, yeah. speaks volumes also from what Mario Goetze is doing with Frankfurt. 
Yeah, they're good. And another one who could be a tricky, uh, tricky opponent to draw in the last sixteen. I think. Yeah. Oh, Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, like they do have the cup, the cup experience. They do have that cup vibe. They've kind of won. Well, they won the Pokal four or five seasons ago. They won the Europa League now. They did have a deep run the season before that, so two seasons ago in Europa League. Um, and now you can see that they're actually stepping up their game and, like you just said, like a really tough group in, in, in the Champions League where every game was, you know, just as difficult as the other one. There was no, like, slag off in, in that group. Kind of yeah. Another thing I enjoyed about that game was uh, Kamada taking the penalty and someone was shining a laser pointer <laughs> in his face and he just laughed and then yeah, yeah. stepped up and scored. It's like, great. Cool yeah. as That fun. was fantastic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sporting at least got the consolation of a place in the Europa League uh, due to Spurs' late winner. Did you feel a little bit sorry for Marseille at all there, Matt, or did you not care? No. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I don't know why. I feel sorry for them. Um yeah, they obviously just didn't really do enough. They've well, ap- been apparently, such a poor team. Apparently, Igor Tudor didn't tell the players of the situation and was sort of imploring them to go and get a winner until Spurs kind of broke down the pitch at the end. But he was nearly on, he was on the pitch, wasn't he? At one point, Tudor. That you see yeah, that picture, I, yeah. I asked Lu- uh, Lucas on our French desk as it is a Marseille fan. I asked him about this, and he said they wouldn't have played for the draw anyway. And taking Europa League, like you know, they wanted to go through in the Champions League. What they needed was one more goal, um, just like Spurs. Well, Spurs didn't. Um, so yeah, I, I think even if they did, knew they still would have gone for it. Like Kalasnac is so close, right, to scoring that goal for Marseille at the back post. Um, so even if they did, they, I, it would have been a bit weird if they had the chance to go for Champions League in the last few minutes, but rather just stuck with the draw <laughs> for the Europa League. Um, I don't know. Yeah, go big or go home, and uh, they went home. Yeah, it reminds me of that uh, <laughs> that that uh, sort of metaphor they talk about in the office, where the dog's got a bone in his mouth, and he sees his reflection in the pond, and he thinks, "Oh, that dog's got a better bone than me." So he opens his mouth and loses his bone. And Gareth says, "What's the moral of the story?" He says, "Give a dog a bone." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, yeah. That's that was literally it. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. Be careful what you wish for, I suppose, is the, the moral of that story. Right. Uh, Atletico Madrid, I think they uh, they perhaps sunk to a new low this week, losing 2-1 to Porto, being dumped out of Europe altogether. Uh, we talked a bit about Atletico on the podcast on Monday, Danny, about Simeone. Um, okay. Do you think he's under a bit of pressure at the moment? Do you think he'll ever be under pressure at Atletico Madrid? And do you think maybe he should be under pressure for the way they're performing? I think that is starting to like arrive. Uh, it's mm. the first time you would see like on Twitter, like Atletico fans like vocally saying, "Okay, I think it's end of an era," kind of thing. Yeah. Whether or not he is willing to relinquish the little throne he has, where he earns more money than any other coach on the planet, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Also, to be fair to him, like it's it's not all his fault, is it? Like they don't really give him that big of a budget to work with, uh, comparatively to other teams in Europe, of course. Um, during summer and you could sell that by the signings when they signed a couple players and none of them really spectacular you would assume that this project was going to kind of go adrift this season and fans knew it beforehand you know you lose a couple players that are kind of key as well i don't know like it's kind of hard to just pinpoint on Simeone. it's the easiest way out i think but it's also a, a team performance issue like i don't see any single player stepping up there as well felix tossing aside his training jersey the other day because, you know, he was subbed in. It's that sort of thing where it's not necessarily just because of bad results that you see that sort of like thing broiling or festering under. It's also that they just can't be asked anymore. It seems to be like play the, the Simeone, you know, high intensity training routine kind of thing that he does. It's, it's maybe just too much to ask for at this point. And, you know, after what is it like around a decade already that he's been in the Atletico, 
things can go stale and it's fine. Like 10 yeah. years and 10 years is a really impressive thing in modern football, if anything. I feel like they're lacking some of the sort of leaders that they had in the good old days, like exactly. Diego Godin, Juan Fran, players like that. Like they're, they're not there anymore, are they? they? Don't seem to stand out anymore. Those kind of players and step yeah. up and stand up and be counted. And uh, yeah, it's. Uh, do you think though, Matt, that maybe it could be a bit of a, a kind of blessing in disguise for them going out of Europe? Maybe that had they had the distraction of Europa League, it might have hampered their uh, chances of getting into Europe again next season. Uh, to be honest, I think they're comfortably the third best team in the league. I know they're not quite there at the minute. Um, certainly, sort of, uh, they're, they're in a fight, I would say, for the Champions League. But I think they've got, what is it, 10 years' experience under Simeone of going far into Europe and still making the Champions League for the next season in the top three or sometimes winning the title. Uh, it's clear that they're far off Barca and Real Madrid. Um, but I would have thought they would be able to finish top four even if they had European football. So, more so even now, it's not like, okay, we can definitely focus on it. Like, they're a good enough team to finish top four regardless, yeah, I would say. I anyway. think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. 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 Yep. Uh, Rangers, they lost 3-1 to Ajax. Uh, that leaves them as the worst ever Champions League group stage team. They end up with nil poids and minus 20 goal difference. Uh, was this a particularly dark day for Scottish football, do you think, Matt? I mean, Celtic didn't fare much better in their group. Uh, they conceded 15 goals as well. So, apparently, it was yeah. the um, it was the most... Uh, two teams from the same city have conceded in a European campaign before or something like that. So yeah, a dark day for Glasgow, perhaps we'll say, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. It's a really, really tough one because notoriously you have been, you know, Rangers and Celtic really, really poor in the Champions League. There is such a big step up in quality Um, and they had a tough group. You know, Napoli are absolutely flying. Liverpool are a great side, we know that. And, And Ajax although they didn't have the greatest of groups, on their day can be very good, like we saw with the two victory over Rangers. I think it was one of those things where, you know, we see so many whipping boys in the Champions League, the guys who finish with no points or one point or whatever, and it just so happened that Rangers really let their defensive guard go, and it's maybe something that they're not punished for on a week-by-week basis in in the Scottish Premier League, Um, but they are punished when you make such a huge step up to face the attackers that Liverpool, Napoli and Ajax have got. You know, there was... They'll probably look back, especially at the defeat at home to Liverpool and think, God, guys, at three or four, one, let's just shut up shop. Be a bit Mm. smarter. Don't go and concede six, seven. Um, So, yeah, there's there's a lot of defensive work to do. And I I would put it down to the fact that maybe they're just not punished as much in in, in the Scottish Premier League um, because it's evident, like you mentioned with Celtic as well, conceding 15. Yeah, uh, sensing some rumblings of discontent about Giovanni Van Bronckhorst from their fans. Maybe sack him and get Steven Gerrard back in. Now he's uh, <laughs> yeah, on the market yeah, again. True, true. <laughs> there's always, for, for as long as I can remember, Danny, there's been talk about uh, get Rangers and Celtic into the Premier League, the English Premier League, because the Scottish Premiership is too that. easy for them. And people always say, oh, where would they finish? And I think Rangers and Celtic fans like to think they would finish sort of top six, like, you know, or, or top 10 or something like that. Does this make a bit of a mockery of that? Does this show that there's, there's quite a big golfing class? Um, I mean, the thing is, like, the bar of Scottish football is considerably lower than the Premier League. Maybe 10 years ago, you could still get away with saying maybe, yeah, top six, top 10. Mm. But the gap in the quality of the squad, which is a consequence of the gap in money and resources available, is so big nowadays that it's really hard to argue that Celtic or Rangers, for that matter, would be able to survive in the Premier League without massive cash injections, which they mm. don't really have right now. Um, which is a shame. I mean, I was just thinking about like, what would it take for Scottish football to be competitive within sort of like the English um, ecosystem? Talk about, you know, 
British football uh, for once. Uh, I don't know. It, it it seems like short term it would be very very hard to get away with, and then it might just spiral out of control. Like you're obviously going to be competing with freaking not even you know Tottenham or anything. You're competing like Aston Villas, Everton's teams that already have you know a couple hundred million in the pocket before the season starts. How do you do that without jeopardizing your whole you know financial enterprise? Glasgow, like Rangers, already know very well what what that's like. Uh, so I don't see them very keen on. You know, gambling their future away for one good season in the Premier League, do they? It's, yeah. I don't know. It's a I tough ask, I find. It's it's very telling when you know after winning titles upon titles, Rogers leaves for Leicester and Gerard leaves for Villa. Mm. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're not disrespecting any of those teams, but you know, if you're smashing it at the top of a big league, you don't then drop down to you know those teams, unless you're Carlo Ancelotti, obviously, <laughs> um, <laughs> who decided to pick Everton. But yeah, like otherwise, it, it does show a bit of a level in class. They're both massive clubs, though, aren't they? With massive yeah. fan bases, yeah, they and are. you know, yeah, it, yeah. I think it, I think they could make it work long term. I think they could, you know, if they were to join the Premier League, they would probably struggle for a little while. You know, they'd probably even be in contention for relegation with the squads yeah. they've got at the moment. But you know, over time, they would they would make some money and be able to invest that into the squad. And uh, and yeah, there's there's few better places to play your football uh, in Europe than those those two clubs, really. So but yeah, it's a bit of a shame for them there both in the, the group stages this year for the first time since 2007 it was and uh, both sent packing with their tail between their legs. At Liverpool, they uh, finished second in their group. Uh, Napoli finished top. Uh, were unable to to uh, get that 100% record in the Champions League but still a very good effort from them. I'm interested in uh, in Darwin Nunez, Matt, because, um, you know, he came in in the summer. There was all this talk about Haaland versus Nunez. Mm. He obviously got himself sent off early doors, didn't help. Haaland just kind of streaks away from him. I feel like that comparison was always a little bit unfair. And I feel like Nunes has actually been quietly doing quite well for Liverpool. And had Haaland not been there, we'd been talking about what a great signing he'd been. Whereas he's kind of like, not flown under the radar, but just in comparison, he's kind of, you know, been half Yeah, through. well, that's the thing. Every single comparison that has been made between Liverpool and City in the last few years, whether, you know, whether it's them fighting in the Champions League or fighting for the Premier League title or Klopp, Guardiola, who do you prefer, this, that and the other... So it was always natural that that was going to happen when, yeah, when you look back on it, it's just not fair at all. Mm. Uh, it's just really not fair to compare the two. And I think Nunes has done pretty well. He is a bit, he's a bit mad, is what I would say. Like <laughs> the red card, obviously, just some of the shit he does. I'm like, you're, you're a crazy player. Well, he nearly fucked up that goal the other night, didn't he? See yeah, that? Yeah. 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 I, I just, there's something really mm. odd about him, but I'm kind of here for it. Yeah. I think he, a bit of a wild <laughs> card. You yeah. Know, you don't, yeah. yeah Guardiola card. would hate him. Guardiola would oh, absolutely hate him. Yeah. But in Klopp's team, I think it works. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think he's been a good signing. Um, obviously, there's a bit of a craziness in price because if Haaland didn't have that release clause, we'd be talking about him being more expensive than Nunes. True. Obviously, he did have the release clause at Dortmund. So and I, th- I think he probably like... was more expensive yeah. if if you actually had, had access to the actual <laughs> figures. Yeah, probably. I think he probably was more expensive. But... So, yeah, that obviously the deal, the expense makes uh, Nunes sort of puts a bit more scrutiny on him. But mm. I think he's done well. I think he's adapted to a new league pretty well. And he's going to get better. Like, he's, he's definitely going to get better and be a better player for Liverpool. For sure, yeah. Well, one guy who was having a lovely time of it is uh, Eric Maxim Chupo-Moting. Scored a brilliant goal for Bayern in their 2-0 win over Inter. I mean, how does he keep doing it, Danny? How does he... Um, is he actually a good player, in fact? Because I've seen him play many times. I have no idea, to be quite honest with you. I, I categorise him under the same in the same category as Thomas Müller, where he's, he's clumsy <laughs> looking a little bit, but somehow it just works marvels. And yeah. uh, Bayern do well with that. And honestly, I'm really surprised with the season he's having. He was sort of signed to be sort of like... A, Typical understudy for, you know, Lewandowski back then. And now, 
the team not having a, a classic number nine uh, and a lot of talk of, you know, mistalk basically of Mane being the new Lewandowski in the team, you know, not really true. Um, he's kind of stepped up into the rotation of the team. He's kind of like earned the minutes, benching uh, Matisse Tell, who's sort of like the, the you know, 17-year-old they brought over to become the eventual number nine. Uh, so I think it's been really healthy for the team. A, that he's delivering, obviously. B, that he is, you know, taking up a decent amount of, of minutes that allows the team to, you know, um, rotate a lot. And that's something that's kind of helping in other ways. You see Gnabry coming back slowly. Sané now that's been injured, kind of like, you know, having the time with it not being like a real crisis for the uh, for the club. Uh, and overall, the team just functioning kind of well. So it's not only what he's doing by scoring. It's just simply that he's adding value by allowing the coach to, you know, rely on him, which is a huge ask for who was signed to be player number 13 in the squad eventually. Yeah. I always like players who should have a bit of imposter syndrome, which I think he probably should. Yeah. I don't think he's quite good enough for Bayern Munich, but they just get on with it and just like, you know, yeah. score the odd goal now and again. I mean, there's been some chat uh, over the past couple of days, Matt, about maybe uh, triple promoting to Man United. And I think, I don't know, is that a, is that a transfer rumour on the level of Marco Analtovic to Man United? Is Eric Tanhag obsessed with his Stoke 2018 team? Is he going to go for Jeff Cameron next or something like that? Or? Uh, yeah, no, I, I feel like it's uh, that everything that comes with Manchester United in the in the media always take with a pinch of salt because, yeah. you know, it makes headlines. Um, the thing is, he wouldn't be brought in as, as the main striker. It'd be pointless. Like, he'd just be moving to be a backup again and again and again. But at least when he's a backup at PSG or Bayern... He actually wins stuff. Yeah. Um, so I don't think he'd, probably for his own career, I don't think he'd throw himself back into the competitive line of league football. No disrespect to PSG and Bayern, and I know Bayern aren't top. And I also think that um, Manchester United would look absolutely ridiculous paying you know, his wages, even if it was over 150K or whatever. They'd look crazy spending that much money on a, a you know an older player's wages who's going to be a backup. So no, I don't see that happening. Yeah, me neither, to be honest. But mm. it's fun to dream, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a bit surprised, Danny, that uh, Bayern came through the, the group of death as it was supposedly uh, 100% record? I mean, the, the league form's been a little bit up, up and down, hasn't it, this season? But Champions League-wise, it's been serenely calm. It's been splendid, man. Honestly, yeah. it's been very, very, I would say easy. It really did feel when the draw came, like, I'm not going to lie. I did one Barcelona. I'm not going to lie about that part. <laughs> I wanted to, you know, see what this little new European derby that's kind of like fostered since the A2 came along, uh, <laughs> what this episode had for it. And honestly, I'm surprised that Bayern are that stable in Europe. I honestly thought they were going to struggle a bit more to adapt without a, you know, a Classic number nine, Lewandowski, guy that scored 440 plus goals per season for them for more than four seasons in a row. It's a hard ask for a team to kind of like move beyond that. But once you saw them play without a number nine, it just felt a lot more organic. You saw Gnabry, you saw Sané, you saw Mane, you saw everyone in the attack. Miller, everyone kind of like stepping up. Muziala also helped a lot with, you know, having a really good start to the season. So the attack has changed a lot more into the Nagelsmann sort of, you know, style of football, which is... No clear number nine, just everybody go forward and kill them. Uh, and that's kind of helped. And to see them, you know, turn Barca into whatever it is, Barca, whatever Barca is nowadays, and to deal with uh, Inter, who arguably also have had their trouble with the coach, is telling of Bayern's stability, but also very telling of how volatile situation the situation is in Barcelona and in Inter. Inter are not particularly doing that well this season. Barcelona... Had a lot of promise, but it seemed to be a lot more yapping than actually doing <laughs> stuff. Uh, and, you know, and paradoxically, it also kind of gives you a good glimpse into, glimpse into the quality of Spanish football. If that 
Barcelona side can get away with being second or first or you know the least con- the team conceded the least amount of goals. I don't know. It's 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 a worrying conversation in, in Spain for sure more than it is anywhere else. <laughs> Bundesliga is back a little legal then. Is that what we're taking away from the, all this? Hey, it's four German teams in the next round, buddy. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, speaking of Barcelona, how excited should we be about Pablo Torre? Do you think, Danny? He made his uh, his debut against Victoria Pilsen, a, a four two win for Barca. There gave a penalty away, but scored a very nice goal as well. There's a bit of hype about him, isn't there? I mean, there's always a hype around any player that Barca debut, or isn't there? Like sometimes, very arguably so, like Pedri, Gabi, and you know, Sofati. That's very you know speaks a lot of merit, and he kind of comes from the same not only school but same kind of class. Uh, so yeah. The fact that he's starting to see minutes more often with the first team speaks volumes of him. Uh, having said that, half of the rumor mill has been about signing a striker during winter break. So maybe the club is not ready to go all in on Pablo Torre quite yet, but maybe he's going to see some minutes that are going to allow him slowly to transition into uh, a new role. I don't understand why or how Barca will be able to afford a striker in December. But, you know, the fact that that's sort of what they're selling right now in Spanish media kind of gives you an idea that the expectations, at least, with Paolo are not that high, where mm-hmm. I do believe he has a quality enough to be number two behind a guy like Lewandowski, who's never injured, never sick, always delivers, and, you know, doesn't really need an understudy for that much. Yeah. Yep. Uh, let's move on to, uh, that's all the, the Champions League stuff done now. Let's move on to a couple of other little stories uh, that are knocking around this week. The first one is Julian Lopetegui. Might looks like his, his move to Wolves might be back on. Uh, any idea what's happened there, Matt? Why he's had a change of heart? And uh, do you think that might be a good move for Wolves? Yeah, I, I'm not really sure. But who, maybe he had another idea in his mind. Maybe he was holding out for another team. Um, it seems to be really odd. I mean, he's no stranger to bizarre discussions. Mm, um, what yeah. with the whole Spain Real Madrid World Cup yeah. thing. So maybe this is to be expected whenever discussing Lopetegui in a new job. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really know why. It feels like, again, this is what we were speaking about earlier. Like to go from where he was in La Liga to then take the Wolves job. <laughs> Right, we're talking, you know, relegation threatened, not so good Wolves in the Premier League just seems so odd. So He's not even I, Portuguese. It doesn't even make much sense. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> bizarre. Um, I, I, really, I really don't really understand this one or where he could take them. Um, I think that the thing is for some managers that there's got to be the end goal. And I think the end goal in, in the Premier League is so difficult to reach to make any sort of um, um, progress or to achieve anything. Like I think for most, like Lopetegui, it would be you know break into the top four in, in La Liga, have a bit of a title charge. You could do the same in in Liga. You could do the same in the Bundesliga. Realistically, teams can break into the top four, right, and they can have a good run. It just can't happen in the Premier League. Like Unai Emery's coming in, right, and he can have all the ambitions in the world for Aston Villa. Realistically, <laughs> are they going to break into the top four? No. Are they going to break into the top six? Pfft, doubt it'd have it. to be, I yeah. doubt it. It would have to be a monstrous season like Rogers had at Leicester a few years ago. Now with Newcastle in the mix, we're looking at a top yeah. seven, right? Yeah. We're looking at a top seven. So all these managers who come into Wolves, Villa, wherever, <laughs> they're going to give it a go. Maybe they finish eighth one season and you go, oh, they've actually done well considering. It's a bit of and a then, hide into nothing, isn't it? Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, and then yeah. as soon as they finish 12th or 13th, everyone goes, it's probably not for them. Lopetegui then goes, well, I've just finished 14th with Wolves. Uh, and then they disappear the again. Yeah. Mm. yeah, like I feel like for these managers that are used to being, you know, in the Champions League at the upper echelons of the game abroad, 
coming into a lower league side, I mean, look, we all do it on Football Manager when we think we can take Wolves to the Champions League. <laughs> I wouldn't call Wolves a lower league side, by the way. So I meant lower of the Premier League. I meant lower reaches of the yeah, Premier yeah, League. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. not lower league. Um, yeah, like as much as it's good and as much as Emery is working to get Aston Villa into the top six or whatever, the chances of it happening are so small. They, You, you said it perfectly. They're on a hiding to nothing, yeah. really. Yeah. Well, you've just depressed the entirety of Wolverhampton. Yeah, now, so. sorry. <laughs> and, and the rest of the Premier League as well, I think. And, look, and if you've ever been to Wolverhampton, they're depressed enough as it is there. So yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, and, 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 sad, <laughs> and sadly enough, what it takes to break into the top six or to make it a top seven is a ridiculous takeover with billions of pounds to spend. Yeah, yeah. new chic. Yeah, it's a so, different kind of chic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I can't. It, it sounds, yeah, again, it sounds a bit defeatist, um, but teams go in, in flashes. Who was the last team? to break into the top four, Leicester, right, when they won mm. the title in 2016? Yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah, must be, yeah. But outside of the top six, was it Everton in 2004 when they lost to Villarreal in the <laughs> Yeah, I think, so. I think it was, yeah. yeah. I can't recall anyone else. So we're looking at two teams outside the top six to break into the Champions League in the last 18 years. It's probably longer <laughs> than that. Yeah. Uh, you know, for a third, yeah, sorry, you probably had Newcastle or Leeds back in the early 2000s. But you know, I just, it, it doesn't happen, so it's it's a bit odd. Anyway, well, well, I mean, Lopetegui and Emery, quite good cup managers, aren't they? Could that be uh, something that the, that the Wolves fans can look forward to, Danny? That maybe they'll have a, a decent yeah. stab at the cups or in, the, in England. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's a good shout, actually. Uh, Emery at Villa, and you know, Lopetegui and Wolves. If he ends up going there, that could be an interesting approach, and maybe the that's sort of like the end reason behind everything. They might know the Premier is kind of out of reach. But maybe the FA Cup isn't. Maybe the draw is not that bad. Maybe the League Cup is not that complicated either. Maybe you get in for both. Why not? Uh, seems, but it does. I don't mean this in a bad way, but it does seem a bit like a consolation prize, doesn't it? Like it does, you go, yeah. you go all the way to you know to coach in the Premier. You go to coach the Premier. You don't go coach FA Cup. You know that's just sure. sort of like the side quest that you kind of get on board as a coach. <laughs> but I don't know. It's it's like Matt nailed it. Like it's it's kind of hard to sell nowadays to go coach a top ten, even top ten team in Britain because in England because it's just what what are we doing this for? Like what's the point? Yeah. It's a good paycheck probably, but like sports like sport wise, recognition wise, as a coach, they're arguably just as competitive of players, if not more. Um, like, like they're a weird bunch of coaches, like we can tell. Mm-hmm. Like and uh, them just going there for you know paycheck. Why? Like, like there's, yeah. you know, I mean, fair play. I mean, anybody that goes there, yeah. Marius, I wish them the best. Nothing against them, obviously. But Emery was just bought off Villarreal, who had like a really promising, you know, season up ahead of them. Promising in the sense that they might go to Champions League again, have a decent performance at Champions League again. Uh, after last season, two seasons ago, I don't remember anymore. Last season, right? Um, and, you know, Lopetegui, obviously, he was already out of the job at Sevilla because Sevilla kind of like started tanking in a very Atletico Madrid kind of way. Um, so him going to Wolves kind of makes a bit more sense, but holding out for what otherwise? Simeone mm-hmm. getting sacked in Atletico. I don't see that happening. Real Sociedad, yeah. like it's a step down either yeah. way. Yeah. Wolves so, seems but, like a decent bet of anything. Emery's the perfect example. Like yeah. taking Villarreal, you know, you're you're challenging the top three. You're challenging yeah. Real Barca and Atletico what's he going to do with Aston Villa win the Europa League and get into the Champions League semi-final like he did with Villarreal 
yeah. you know, it's gonna it's gonna be tough. Look, Rogers took Leicester to two fifth place finishes in FA Cup and the Community Shield, and they still want him out. Mm. And so, he's a massive fraud. So yeah, yeah, he's a massive fraud. So <laughs> yeah, I don't want to sound too defeatist. By the way, I, I get the whole point, and yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. doom and gloom forever. And good luck to Emery and and to Lopetegui and whoever. And you know, the team doesn't survive without all twenty of them in there. But it seems like when they're used to being so high up. I can't imagine them taking at the end of the season when Aston Villa finished fourth. I'll, <laughs> I'll look like an idiot. <laughs> yeah, uh, I won't be holding my breath about that, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Right. We were also talking on Monday's podcast about Lionel Messi's future. Uh, there was a report, funnily enough, yesterday that he's uh, he's learning French and uh, might be staying at PSG after all, despite all this talk about him going to MLS. Uh, we've got an email from David Aslan here, which I'm going to read out. It's quite a long one. Uh, so bear with me. Uh, but he says, I think Matt asked what we'd do in Messi's place. I'm a bit of a Messi fanboy. So I've thought a bit about his next career move. I think it hinges on the World Cup, uh, as he put it, because if he wins it with Argentina, then it's the perfect ending to his illustrious career. He could leave PSG in January, effectively to a standing ovation from the world. I think this is why he included a gentleman's agreement with PSG to leave in January 2023 on a free. Or if he doesn't win the World Cup, he stays at PSG and tries to win the Champions League this season. Again, if he wins it, he bows out a European champion, a fitting end to a great career. If he misses out on both and he still is at <clears throat> his elite level, he probably cashes out on a final payday from PSG. Uh, note that he's uh, used a, uh, a dollar sign in place of the S in PSG there. So uh, a little a little nod to what he's talking yeah, about what's there. Yeah, David, you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for an extra year, and by next season, retires having won the most team trophies of any football player, overtaking Danny Alves, another fitting end to his career. I think Barca fame is over as there's some conflict with Laporta and Barca aren't in the top uh, five strongest teams in Europe. Uh, there's very little chance he wins a title with them, so he probably returns there at a managerial sporting director level after he retires. Obviously, he goes into Miami after PSG as he owns a luxurious property in the area, plays recreationally on second gear for the next few years, establishes his brand business interests in that extremely lucrative market, and in 2026, he is the face of the World Cup that's being hosted in North America. Then he retires and goes back to Barcelona, where his, where his family prefers to be, and where he is a cult hero more than any other place. Now, I'm starting to wonder if that is actually from Lionel Messi and not that's David Aslan's, like, you know, that's his uh, pseudonym or something. Because uh, yeah, he's oh, got yeah, it all mapped actually, out there, hasn't it? Yeah. Pretty decent, actually. Yeah, he's yeah. he's thought that. Are you like his personal biographer, David? Because that is, <laughs> you've written his life plan for you. You should present that to him. Big PowerPoint presentation around yeah. Messi's house. Get a job in sports management, man. You would be good. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, funnily enough, I always would assume that he would head back to Barcelona. I know there's arguments mm. um, and Barcelona may not be in the, in the top five. It would probably depend on whether he sees these, uh, these trophies, like he's mentioned about winning as big milestones. Like, do you have to end on a high? It sounds very Hollywood. It sounds very, you know, he won the world cup and then, you know, he left and that was well, it. it. I mean, but, but, but to be fair, but to be fair, that would, a, do one thing, which is sort of like give him the credit in Argentina, at least, that it, he still doesn't have, which is yeah. he won something for the country, which Maradona does have. It's sort of like the Messi-Maradona debate is sort of like the big overall arc in Argentina football nowadays. B, it would give him something that Ronaldo never achieved or mm. will achieve. So there's two good reasons why the World Cup is everything is kind of like hedging on. And C, like he just came off the Copa America. He just came off like a really good cycle with Scaloni. Everything's kind of like being built up towards Argentina being an actual contender. Like I'm talking to friends from, from Argentina right now and they're all like, no dude, like once the World Cup starts, the country's fucking over. Like forget about it. Like no one's going to do anything until Argentina <laughs> win this World Cup. Like the expectations are always high there. But yeah. this time it seems to be like 
an insane level of expectation for this World Cup. Like they really believe they can win this thing. <laughs> and um, fair enough. I think between, even I would say they have their, to me, they're bigger candidates in Brazil, even like they're up there definitely. Um, and yeah, if, yeah, like what's the, what's the argument if you don't win it? Fine. You disappoint an entire country. Big deal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but then you go back and you're playing the Champions League with PSG for one last season, arguably the best season he's had with PSG so far. Uh, and maybe his last real shot at winning the thing. Um, Neymar is also probably gonna gonna bounce off at the end of the season, if not him Mbappe. So it's sort of like the you know, it is sort of like a good moment to set like a standard straight and say, look, I can win either or or both, and then we're done. Uh, and then I can just go to Miami and chill. Going back to Barca, ugh, I mean that would be like the romantic ending. But how can yeah, they afford Messi? More Hollywood. Yeah, but yeah. That, yeah, that's like a soap. That's not even Hollywood. It's like you know, a cheap ass soap opera, man. Like, <laughs> how does he end up in the club where he already won everything? Fine, that's gorgeous. But they're, they're bank broken. Like, they have nothing, yeah. nothing in the bank account. You can't afford Messi's wages, and he's not going to forego. You know, you know, he can forego as much as he wants. Fine, he's still going to have to earn something, and he's going to be playing minutes that either Ansu Fati are not going to play, Dembele, who they kind of love now again, isn't going to be playing. Like. Sports-wise, it doesn't make that much sense, really. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. If Barca go for it, well, they're just proving our theory that they're batshit crazy. But otherwise, <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah, it, it was an interesting report, that one that I was talking about, that said he was learning French. It was in one of the big French papers. And it also said that he's kind of uh, come out of his shell a little bit since uh, Di Maria and Paredes left. And there's less of a kind of Argentine clique in PSG now. And he's like yeah. become a bit more of a leader. And I think we all saw that video that was going around of him yesterday doing the team talk for the Copa America final, I think it was. Uh, yeah. So if uh, if he's got a few few more of them up his sleeve, then Argentina could yeah. well be a contender in Qatar. Uh, let's finish now by having a quick look uh, towards the uh, the weekend in the Premier League because we've got two big games there. Uh, the first one, both on Sunday, early Sunday kickoff is Chelsea v Arsenal. Matt, do you think this one's a bit of a uh, a must win for Chelsea in terms of I don't know in terms of uh, do they have any title hopes? Do you think? I don't think they have any title hopes, but it lays down a marker that they're still, you know a good team. I'm not saying they were a bad team and I think they've done ever so well since Potter came in with only one defeat, but still kind of mixing it up and uh, and winning some big games would be a really, really big statement for them. And again, against the, against the league leaders, it'd be absolutely massive as well. I don't, I don't think there are any title hopes for Chelsea. Uh, They can obviously still win it. Um, But I don't know, realistically speaking, maybe not. It does, it does feel like it would be more of a must-win for Arsenal to sit down an even bigger marker mm. um, than, it, than it necessarily would for Chelsea because all eyes are on Arsenal at the top and, you know, can they hold their position? Can they make it to the World Cup at least? So maybe there's a bit more riding on it from Mikel Arteta. Um, but yeah, who knows? Maybe Aubameyang's super fired up as well to get one on <laughs> yeah. Arteta. I'm, maybe I'm, actually, yeah, yeah. I'm hoping for like an Adebayor-style celebration like City against <laughs> Arsenal. Like Aubameyang scores against Arsenal, slides in front of Arteta just gives it big and yeah that'd be well funny in terms of tapping his watch or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be good yeah well if Arsenal well when Arsenal have played this game they'll have played five of the big six with the exception of City this season if they win it'll have been four three wins and one defeat they lost at United didn't they do you think Danny it's pretty important for Arsenal to be top of the Premier League going into the World Cup break to a bit you know if they are not top if, if City are above them at that point psychologically does that make it very difficult for them to mount a title challenge in the second half of the season? Yeah, I mean, I think that 
this spe- this season being less special as it is with this huge international, like, you know, proper break in winter. Like it's not even like the German version of a break, which is also kind of extended. This is like proper six weeks, basically. Mm-hmm. You kind of need to, you know, accumulate as many points as you can before that moment comes because of the simple fact that there is an international, you know, tournament like the World Cup happening. Uh, City's star striker isn't going. So he's going to be well rested, well, you know, nourished, not injured, everything. He gets to like train normally. Many mm-hmm. players in the Arsenal squad will probably be heading back with, you know, a knock or two, not necessarily in the best shape, maybe fatigued even if they play a lot. And, and one of those uh, the teams they represent takes a, you know, have, has a, a long cup run. Uh, and I think that's sort of like what is going to make or break teams this season, not only in the Premier League, I think in general, like whoever it's, whoever, you know, plays the most games, most minutes, gets most injuries is going to end up losing or sacrificing a lot. So yeah, I think not necessarily because of the psychological edge of being first before the winter break, but I do definitely think that it's strategically convenient to have as many points banked already in before yeah. this huge, you know, seven potential seven game run in four weeks uh, heads the way of well the entire planet. So I think Arsenal should be, yeah, very very aware that also beating a team like Chelsea, local London rival rivals, they can also kind of like start cleaning out a little bit on who's involved in the second third place race. Um, that could also be a little positive for them as well. So yeah. yeah. Could be a big one, actually. Yeah, I read the other day that I think if Arsenal replicate their form uh, over the course of the season, they'll they'll end up with ninety six points. I think it was, which would be wow. pretty astonishing leap from from where they were last season. It's kind of hard to imagine, but uh, you never know. You never know. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other big game on Sunday is Liverpool v Tottenham, or Tottenham v Liverpool, isn't it? Actually, it's at uh, at Spurs. Uh, firstly, Matt, how big is that uh, that son injury for for Spurs? Do you think you know he went off? He's, he has to have facial surgery, I believe, doesn't he? The, yeah. The it, it, it's weird because he's been really poor this season, Son. Really, really yeah. out of form. There was a brief period where he scored that hatchet against Leicester and scored one or two others. It sort of forces Conte's hand into trying something different. And because before, if Son's playing bad, it is very difficult to drop him. He's such a good player and has done so much for Spurs that it's difficult to be like, yeah, you're not playing so well. You know, you're kind of banking on what you know he can do as opposed to what he's currently doing. Yeah. So this actually might be a good a good time to for Son to not play and and Spurs to try something else. The only issue is that Spurs don't have anything else because Richardson <laughs> and Kulusevski are also both injured. Um so yeah, in the, from that perspective it's it's going to be really really tough and I'm not I'm not quite sure where Spurs' attacking threat is going to come from, to be honest. Is he going to try and dominate the midfield, Conte, do you think, in that case? Yeah, I think he would do anyway. I think the problem with Spurs' midfield is a bit too passive. There aren't... I say this, but Hoybier is, you know, scoring goals and um, Bentacor as well scored a couple in the last few games. They just don't have that creative player in between midfield and Harry Kane. Um, So, you know, playing a, a, a back three... Then playing a flat midfield three, with which I think he will do with Bentacor, Hoybier and Basuma... Um, it's kind of it's a packing it out, but it's not very attacking. And I think, like we mentioned earlier, Spurs need to be on the front foot a little bit more. Um, so as to what he does, the only person I can see is Lucas Moura just partnering Harry Kane up mm. front in the sort of son role. Wouldn't um, be a bad that's, shot, about, yeah. that's about. There's no one else. Brian Hill's yeah. not going to start. He only <laughs> gives him two minutes at the end of the game. So, <laughs> and uh, and do we do we think we'll see uh, Champions League Liverpool or Premier League Liverpool turn up for this one? 
Honestly, uh, as the negative Spurs fan that I sometimes am, I'm trying to be positive, right? But it would be (laughs) so, so typical of Tottenham and Spurs fans know what I'm on about to face a Liverpool side that can't buy a win in the Premier League for love nor money and let them walk all over us and lose (laughs) 3-0. It would be so typical Tottenham to play such a poor Liverpool side and have that happen. Um, But yeah, if you see Champions League Liverpool, they'd be pretty good. I don't know. I think... Liverpool won't be great and Spurs won't be great either so my 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 head says and my heart says a one-all draw oh, I'll do something else on Sunday afternoon then won't bother watching yeah, that one yeah. <laughs> sounds like a load of shite yeah <laughs> well on that note uh, we'll, uh, we'll end the podcast for today uh, thank you to Danny and Matt for joining me thanks to everyone for listening remember you can also watch us nowadays on the One Football app on the One Football Apple TV app as well if you so desire uh, you can get in touch with the podcast by emailing podcast at onefootball.com or tweeting us. We'll be back again on Monday with uh, with plenty of more chat. So we'll see you then. Bye.